You're listening to Rosie on the House. It's 8 o'clock. It's the first Saturday of the month. We have Julie Murphy with the Arizona Farm Bureau and talking farm fresh. And our goal with this hour uh, is to really inform all of our Arizona listeners where their local food's coming from, the local farmers that are growing it, and where they can pick up local produce and help connect uh, the farmers to uh, the local homeowners that are right here. We have an incredible amount of agriculture in Arizona. And right now, Yuma is... You know, the lettuce capital of the entire world. Did you know at New Year's they drop a head of lettuce? <laughs> they drop a, I I love what they do in Yuma. In fact, if you drive through it, Romy, right now, you just have to roll down the windows. Yes, it will be cold, but you will smell. It'll smell like a salad bowl. That's why they call it the, <laughs> the winter salad bowl of America. Uh, Let's see. The last time I asked one of my Yuma farmers, a thousand to twelve hundred semi truckloads of fresh produce are heading out the valley. And you know we love local, and I go shop the farmers markets all the time. But I also want my relatives in the Midwest to enjoy our leafy greens. And we have a lot of them right now. And you also have a guest joining us on the line. Yes, Frank Martin with Crooked Sky Farms. Hi, Frank. Good morning. How are you doing? Good, and thank you. I know that you're at a farmer's market. Which one are you at right now? Oh, well, I am at the Gilbert Farmer's Market here in Gilbert, down, down by the water tower. This is one of the most incredible farmer's markets around. It is. It's awesome. And um, I was suspect that that's where you were. So I appreciate that you're going to break away, be able to break away and do this. But you have a team, and um, they can help you, and you can talk to us, right? That's correct. I have Lindsay and Laura. If you've ever followed me on Facebook yes. before, you'll know that they're the, they do an outstanding job. They probably don't need me at all. I'm probably just decoration anyway. <laughs> well, Frank, you're good. Farmer Frank, you're good decoration because, again, you're one of our farmers that our uh, local community residents can meet and get fresh produce. And I always like to, um, the story I like to tell in Frank is I've, I had met you before that, but the first time I went to your farm, when I showed up, you were at your work table just leafing through, um, that's a good metaphor, leafing through one of your seed catalogs, and I was asking you about it, and, he, and you said, oh, I'm just kind of checking out what I want to grow, and I walked away from that adventure that day convinced that, Frank, you can grow just about anything, and since we're talking about root veggies, what are you growing in the garden today, or in the farm today? Oh, as far as root vegetables, you know, we grow uh, parsnips, carrots beets, radishes. Uh, I can't think of everything right now, but, you know, this is like the, probably the, the biggest time of the year. Uh, some people call it like the, the bragging time of the year for gardens because, you know, you have lots of cauliflower and broccoli and all kinds of lettuces. Uh, you know, we probably have 30 different types of just lettuces. So you're always experienced. You're always experimenting. Is it what's new in uh, your farm? And by the way, tell uh, listeners where you farm. I farm in uh, the sort of the south central Phoenix area, and that would be about 27th Avenue uh, between Durango and Lower Buckeye. Uh, there's 40 acres right there, that particular spot. Uh, and that's probably, I don't know, it's like eight or 10 minutes from downtown Phoenix. I mean, you can see the big buildings there. That's as close to the original farming site as you could probably get with the development that's happened. 
Yeah, it's just all around us. I'm sure it's going to take us over here pretty quick. But it's kind of your oasis in the desert, and you grow everything. So is there anything new? And one of the things, my takeaways was you'll check out a vegetable that maybe you haven't grown before and try it here in our Arizona soil, and it works for you. Yeah, you know, uh, somebody told me one time that you couldn't grow rhubarb here, and, you know, I found out, you know, it's just basically in the same family as sorrel, so uh, it'll it'll grow here, and it, it does really well. We mostly treat it as an annual, but it will grow here really well. And what's new in your, um, you know, you mentioned some of the others, but we're talking about 2020 and having 2020 vision in this new year, <laughs> so... Do you have any ideas for some new crops that you might be growing? Uh, I'm trying to think of well, something new that we're growing this year. Uh, you know, we grow a lot of things, and we pretty much just carpet bomb the uh, Johnny Seeds catalog, and we'll have, a, you know, probably 140 <laughs> or 50 different types of things that grow. Uh, I, I think that the good thing about the wintertime as opposed to the summertime is you have so many more things you can grow. I mean, in the, in the summer, I mean, you could grow 20 different kinds of corn, but it's still corn. But, you know, this time of the year, and it's all the arugula and the Napa cabbage and all the different kinds of, uh, you know, greens in celery. And uh, I, you know, I, most of it just escapes me right now, but there are just so many things that you can grow. So we'll grow upwards to 140 different types of things. And that's one of the special things that you can really experience at a good farmer's markets, Gilbert farmer's markets being one of them, and certainly the whole array of farmer's markets that we have throughout the state. Uh, There's some farmer's markets in Phoenix that are amazing. Uh, You go further south in Tucson. But um, you can discover, that's what I always like to tell my friends and family, you can discover maybe a vegetable that you've never maybe had on your menu before, and it's something that you can discover in a farmer's markets. Plus, and and go ahead, Frank. No, I was going to say, yeah, that's correct. You know, there's always something different that nobody has had before. If you go to the store, you're basically talking about only getting like five different types of vegetables almost all the time. You know, it's like lettuce, potatoes, carrots, and, and a few things like that. But when you come to the farmer's market, you get introduced to a lot of new things. You know, uh, I've you know, we've had people try arugula that have never had that before. And also other things like, you know, that uh, watermelon radish, it goes by a bunch of different names of Valentine radish or, or, you know, it's red on the inside and then it's green on the outside. And there are uh, so many different things like that, you know, daikons and everything. It's, it's just amazing. Even in the arugula category, and of course, I don't have on the top of my mind just how many varieties of arugula, but it's just a broad array. Yeah. And that's one of the things that farmers like you, um, I remember uh, talking to Bob McClendon one time, and uh, he's one of our direct market farmers here in the valley. And I think the last time I visited with him, he said that he was growing anywhere from 150 to 200 different varieties of vegetables and fruits and that's one of the special things about our direct market farmers like you frank the array of vegetables and fruits that you're producing is really going to be there and that's some of the things that you can discover and you're still doing the csas also correct yeah we have a few csas around here and our big csa of course is in tucson and those uh the acronym yes, yes is um uh Consumer-supported ag, correct, or uh, uh, service? Community-supported yeah, agriculture. Community-supported yeah. agriculture. And tell us a little bit about the history. You're kind of, 
I know you don't like to claim being the founding father, but I mean, you really got helped. You were one of those that helped get the CSA movement going here in the Valley. Yeah, I think that we were actually the one of the first ones that ever did it here in the Valley. Um, trying to think of when we started. Was that in the, like, I think you told me sometime in the 1990s, right? Or yeah, was, okay. yeah, it was. Yeah. And we actually did that through uh, Prescott College at the time. So there was a couple of kids over there that had heard about community-supported agriculture, and they actually wanted to do it. And, you know, the original uh, community-supported agriculture started somewhere in, I think, Indiana or something in 1984. Uh, So uh, we weren't like the pioneers of it. And And then before that, of course, it actually came from Japan. And the idea was that, you know, there there were basically a lot of women in Japan that wanted uh, different types of vegetables or the ones that they were familiar with and the older ones that they were used to. And they couldn't find farmers that would do it. And the farmers, well, you know, if we could grow it or, or you know, if we could sell it, we would, we would grow it. And so they actually sponsored them at the time. They said, okay, you know, we'll help you with the money for the seed and, and the, and the farm and stuff and give you money in advance so you can do it. So that's the principle of community supported agriculture. And for the handful of times that I've done it and I subscribe and there's a monthly fee and then you get a weekly, yeah, it was a weekly basket of food that I got with one of the CSAs that I was part of. And a lot of times if you're familiar with the growing seasons and you can kind of anticipate what's going to be in your bag, but a lot of times you got to be a little bit surprised and that was fun. And one of the CSAs that I was part of, they always provided a recipe with the vegetables that were actually in that array. And, that, you know, some are much more dedicated and complex and they might even have some protein meats within them and also. But I think it's kind of neat, Frank, to know that that's one of the things that you kind of got spearheaded. And now uh, you can sign up for a CSA in the Tucson area and with you, with Crooked Sky Farms, and so many other places here in the Valley. It's pretty special. Yeah, it is. It, you know, it, that's kind of the neat thing about CSA is, you know, where you talked about the five things that you might buy if you go to the store. But, you know, if you've never tried something like a watermelon radish or arugula or feltus or, or something like that before, then, you know, you get it in your basket and you go, well, I might as well try it. I kind of had to pay for it. And then the, the thing about it is all of a sudden you get this thing that you've never had before that you get introduced to that, you know, it's one of your favorite things, but you never knew about it before because you're just kind of, you know, you just have these regular few things. I mean, it'd be really hard to, and sometimes you see it, of course, to go into like a, uh, a supermarket and find arugula or or some other exotic type of radish or things like that. But, uh, you know, the farmer's markets and, and through the CSA, you get introduced to these type of things and because you didn't know about them before. Right. So, yeah, they can become they can become something that you experiment with, and lots of people have their favorites of things. Our producer before. has a question I, I was going to say, did, do you grow watermelon radishes? <laughs> yes, we do. Oh, slice thin with garlicky, garlicky hummus. And just eat it. Yes. Oh, oh, man, it's good. A lot of times I'd rather use a uh, crisp vegetable to eat hummus with than bread. Yeah. 
yeah, it's, it's very good. We're talking with Farmer Frank of Crooked Sky Farms. He's at the Gilbert Farmer's Market. You can go to gilbertmarket.com to get the exact location of and times and dates of that farmer's market. You can also go to the Department of Agriculture and order their uh, Arizona Specialty Crop Guide book. It's got a breakdown by county of where all the local farmer's markets are. Yeah. Uh, and fill your plate does too. It's a searchable database. <laughs> yeah, we we between what the Arizona Department of Ag puts together with their book and what we have on fill your plate, we feel it's one of the most comprehensive lists of farmers markets throughout the valley. And then you can discover from that information with from the farmer whether they provide a CSA or not. And with stats like this, iceberg lettuce produced in Arizona, twenty three point nine million cartons. How many pieces of, how many heads of iceberg are in a carton? <laughs> There's no reason you can't eat local in Arizona. <laughs> now, Julie, you were talking about your ag in the classroom program and a right. book you have through there. So, one of the books that we read to children in uh, the primary grades is Tops and Bottoms, and it's a book from this Janet Stevens, and it's all about vegetables and vegetables that grow on the top of the soil and vegetables that grow on the bottom of the soil. So I guess today we're talking about bottoms because we're talking about root vegetables. So, um, you know, there's a lot of vegetables that obviously grow below the ground, and uh, some of the ones that we list, and even what Frank has already mentioned, Technically, they're not all roots. For example, onions and garlics, they're more bulbs. But uh, all of the vegetables underground um, provide a lot of nutrition and, interestingly enough, things that we didn't really realize until we start getting into eating more vegetables. And that's why, Frank, um, it's so fun to have you on today because Frank Martin of Cricket Sky Farms because you know all about vegetables and certainly those that grow below ground. Thank you. <laughs> Each type of uh, root vegetable contains a wide variety of vi- vitamins and minerals. We like to stress that when we're talking about our vitamins. Uh, and then we kind of, um, I'm going to release this article on our blog on uh, Fill Your Plate later on this week, uh, Romy, just so that I can share with my audiences some of the things that you can do. But um, another fun thing I thought would be fun to ask Frank is how'd you get started in farming? You told us a little bit the last time we were on the show, but it's been a while and people might have forgotten. You've you've been in farming pretty much all your life. Yeah, I've actually been in farming most all my life. I actually grew up in Buckeye, and um, you're familiar with that area over there, a big farming community. Uh, you know, uh, but I actually worked for other farmers when I was there. Uh, the Hardesty Brothers, and a lot of other people down there. And I always wanted to farm. And one day I went to uh, George Hardesty and said, you know, I would really like to be able to farm. How do you get started in farming? And he said, there's only two ways to get started in farming. You have to marry it or inherit it. And I go, I'm not going to do either one of those. So, you know, I, I, so, so my thing was, you know, I'd always garden just forever, ever since I can remember. I was three or four years old. And, you know, when I was growing up, I grew a lot of the easy things like zucchini and stuff like that. And in my neighborhood, I was kind of known as the, the zucchini kid because I just grew all these zucchini. And then you place it on people's doorsteps and on their car and oh, stuff like cool. that. So, <clears throat> so uh, but then, you know, I just kept growing uh, bigger garden, bigger garden. 
And then uh, one day I got, um, I was, you know, I'm a master gardener for the University of Arizona, or had been for about 20 years. <clears throat> and one day we got an email through there that was, and somebody was starting a new farmer's market in uh, Prescott. Oh. And they wanted to know if there was any gardeners there that would be interested in attending the, the farmer's market there that grew anything. So I went to the Prescott Farmer's Market with a little folding card table, folding chair, and uh, more uh, squash than you can imagine. I think I made $60 my first day at the farmer's market, and I thought it was crazy amount at the time. It was a lot of years ago. <clears throat> and then I just... You know, I one of the things that I promised myself was if I could just make like $300 a week, I'll quit my day job, which was I was a truck driver. <clears throat> and I just uh, rented a little piece of ground uh, by my house. It was about five acres, started growing there, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, uh, you know, everything just kind of blossomed from there. I did a lot of farmer's markets. I got involved, like I said earlier, with uh, the Community Supported Agriculture, the CSA, also in Prescott. And then we just started reaching out to other things, uh, other people, and we started one in uh, uh, Tucson. And our one at Tucson actually just, you know, it got humongous. Uh, I think we had about 700 families a week there at one time. Wow. So, yeah, so, you know, at the high height of what we were doing, we had about 1,400 uh, families or CSA members a week. So it was pretty big. So we just started expanding a little more and a little more and kept growing. I, I, you know, I'd always thought of myself as a farmer, even when I was doing very small acreage. But, uh, you know, I always loved what I always love what I do. And I got a question for you, Farmer Frank. Okay. And unlike a lot of the guests that Julie brings in, we've got, like you said, married into it or inherited. We had Slim was on with Justice Brothers. He's in sure. third or fourth generation. The, the Rovies have been here for over 100 years. You've got the cars. Somebody trying to start a farm, what would you tell them? Uh, I think that one of the things are, because we do have people that come around and they, they want to farm, uh, but part of it is, you know, you really have to put in the work. Uh, you know, you if you go to college for four years, you're going to have to expect to do some type of an internship for at least that long on a farm so you can see how things are. Uh, you know, I think it's easy enough to just get a piece of dirt still and grow in it. So, but the, the rest of it is learning everything else that you have to do. It's like, you know, the growing, the marketing, uh, you know, seasons and everything. So there, there's a lot to do. More with Julie Murphy and Farmer Frank of Crooked Sky Farms here at Rosie on the House right after this. First Saturday of the month here at Rosie on the House in our outdoor living hour. We bring Julie Murphy with the Arizona Farm Bureau in to talk about all things that are locally grown here in Arizona. The farming industry, $23 billion industry in Arizona and helps connect our listeners to the local farmers and the food that they eat. And one thing, I had actually pulled this article um, a couple weeks ago that was about seven industrial farm operations draining Arizona aquifers. And I was going to ask you about that, but uh, this week, Phil Bashaw actually had a, a, a very good response to that article. Yes, Arizona Farm Bureau CEO um, 
wrote a response to it, and it, if anybody hasn't read it, look, you can go to AZ Central and maybe even just plug in, plug in Phil Bashaw's name, B-A-S-H-A-W, and you, it'll probably pop up. But, you know, we, his main premise, there's a lot more to this complicated issue, but his main premise is we all celebrate when some big company comes in and builds and employs a bunch of people, but when it's farming... We get nailed, and they're criticizing its water use. But the reality of farming today is it's feeding and clothing us. And, you know, there, there's a lot of controversies to it. I'll, I just say, read the article and <laughs> learn about it. But um, It concludes with the point that I think needs to be drummed more is just how much of our water-saving technology has come from right. the agricultural the, industry itself. Yeah, and I highlight that point a lot. And Frank Martin might even be able to speak to this issue too. Like even with cotton, you know, 100 years ago, it wasn't unusual for six to, and our measurement in agriculture is acre feet. So it's a little bit complicated, but 100 years ago, anywhere from six to eight to nine acre feet per acre to grow an acre's worth of cotton. Again, our measurement. Well, today, uh, especially with our drip irrigation, it's less than four acre feet per acre. That's more, we've reduced water use by more than half in cotton here in the state of Arizona. And uh, people say, well, it, you know, it uses water and we don't need it. And well, we do. We're, we'll always need cotton. We'll always need cotton sheets. We'll always need cotton. I do not want to run around naked. So, and we grow it so well in Arizona and we grow it so well in California, two of the most uh, important states for the high quality fiber and what they call the long staple fibers. So anyway, Frank, I think you can even speak to that a little bit because... It would be a lot harder to cover right. ourselves with a creosote leaf as, oh, as opposed yeah. to a fig leaf. Yeah. We don't have as many figs as Adam and Eve had. And, or we could all go to polyester, but the water that's required to manufacture polyester fiber is even worse. So you've got, you and, know, it's the give and take. What do you give up to gain and vice versa? And the versa. microfibers that come off of it. Right. That are ending up in the ocean, they say could change. And they don't biodegrade, whereas cotton, <laughs> one of our cotton farmers, I have to share this story. I saw this on Facebook. He he put a pair of his cotton underwear <laughs> and buried it under, you know, in the ground, speaking of uh, everything underground. And then um, just like a polyester shirt. And he pulled it out a couple months later. Well, the cotton underwear was biodegrading. So, And by the way, speaking of uh, Facebook and Frank Martin, our featured farmer today, if you go to Facebook and look up uh, Farmer Frank Martin, you'll see a lot of what he's growing, what he's doing. Frank, you've just become a Facebook, you know, guru. <laughs> I don't know about that. But um, what's neat is he's also always featuring a lot of his, um, the whole team, the farm team that helps him farm, that helps him plant and grow and harvest, and the weekly harvests that he's, you know, committing to and uh, bringing that beautiful produce to, for example, the Gilbert Farmers Markets. But don't you serve more than one market, or is it mainly the Gilbert, and then you have the CSA part of it? No, we we today we're actually doing four farmers markets. We do. Uh, the one here in Gilbert, of course, and we do the downtown one and the Roadrunner Park in Scottsdale. So now you always, uh, your your appearance, because you're pretty special, you know, you're the, the featured farmer for the produce that uh, the Frank Martin 
farm produces. So why do you always happen to be mostly at the Gilbert Market? Uh, you know, I actually just love Gilbert. I, I don't know why I got to start this market uh, myself. I mean, as far as our farm, uh, I don't remember six or eight years ago, and I've just been here all the time. I, I just like it. I like the people that are here. It's an amazing crowd. Uh, and, you know, it's the people that um, I guess that, that accept this type of stuff. They're, you know, they're into like uh, fun vegetables, different things, organics you know, uh, naturally grown, that type of thing. Um, so, I mean, there are people that really eat vegetables, so I like that quite a bit. And, you know, we're the featured commodity today on the show for the Farm Fresh Hour is the root vegetables. And uh, root vegetables are not always as popular with kids, but one of the things we've been trying to do on Fill Your Plate is when is helping through our blog, we publish articles three times a week, is highlight for parents that sometimes when you take root vegetables, most kids like carrots, granted, yeah. but you the vast array of our root vegetables, so if you blend them with some of their favorite vegetables, parents can introduce the little ones to new flavors. Do you ever have any questions from your parents when you're at the farmer's markets about how they can introduce their child to some of these different vegetables? Yeah. You know, and I'm going to give you an example of one, and it's one of the most undesired vegetables, almost. You know, it's like turnips. Most people don't know what to do with turnips or, or anything like that. But here's what I can promise you. If you've ate at any restaurant uh, above a Denny's restaurant, you have had turnips. And usually what it is is a lot of chefs will actually take turnips and cook them just like potatoes, and they'll just sort of mix them in with the uh, with the potatoes, and that's what gives you, you know, like that mashed potatoes, that little bit of zip that you can't quite, can't quite place. Uh, so, you know, one of the things you can do with like turnips, you can cook them just like a potato. You can cook them and you know, boil them, mash them up, mix them with potatoes, and that does really well like that. And also another thing, uh, one of our uh, farmers market people introduced me to this is just like taking a turnip and then. Uh, you can cook it just like you would fried potatoes, but but what she did was she made like uh, French fries out of the turnips, and I promise you that if somebody didn't tell you, you wouldn't really know that that was a turnip. You would think it was a potato. So um, yeah. you know, and then you got way less carbs than than a potato with a turnip. So uh, that's that's pretty amazing right there. So it works really well. And you can you put a little spice and stuff on it. And too. not and to give the potato a bad name, looking at Julie's nutritional facts here on right. veggies, a potato has more potassium than bananas, spinach, yep. or broccoli. And, <laughs> and then just to add to Frank, uh, Farmer Frank's points about the turnips, they have a, sweet, a bit of a sweeter flavor. That's why chefs like to bl- blend them yep. with potatoes. And that they have plenty of the vitamin C. So... so <laughs> Not to advocate that we fool our children, but no. Uh, sometimes it doesn't hurt to, if you want to boost the vitamin C levels or anything else that a parent is wanting, that blend of nutrients with these fresh vegetables is really good. So um, you have some interesting conversations with your customers all the time because you are present at your farmer's markets. Can you recall some of the interesting conversations you've had with your customers when it comes to your vegetables? Uh, uh, I've had so many conversations here. 
uh, before. Uh, you know, we just have just amazing amount of people here. And I, you know, when we get super busy, I don't have a lot of time to talk to each one. But, you know, when we have little breaks, uh, I do get to. I'm trying to think of one of the things where, oh, I think at one time we were sampling uh, uh you heard of the, the Hakurai turnip? It's like about the size of a golf ball, and it's way different than other turnips because it's known as like a Japanese salad turnip. So you can eat them raw, and they chop them up, put them in salad. It's got this sort of this fruity, crunchy taste. It's really hard to describe. So one time I said I showed that this little boy came up. He was about 12 years old. And I said, hey, you want to try this here? And he goes, no, I, I won't try anything that I haven't had before. And it was just hilarious <laughs> to me. Um, uh, speak, since we're still on turnips, another thing that I, in my research, a cup of sm- mashed turnips has 51 calories and 76 milligrams of calcium, as much calcium as half of a slice of cheddar cheese. So, again, uh, a good blend of dairy, a good blend of vegetables. Uh, we maybe need to be taking our turnips a little bit more seriously than we do. One of the things that I had fun in researching are root vegetables and just re- recalling the days on the farm that I grew up on the farm when Mom and I would tend our garden that we had is, again, the variety, the array of things that you could grow, and it— one of my favorite things as a child was pulling carrots out of the soil, and you'd see this bright orange color just burst out of the dark soil, and it 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 was an experience. And I think that's what can get us to appreciate, especially with our own little backyard gardens, the special experiences that you can implant in a child's mind and they can remember into their adulthood. And that's probably what influenced you, Frank, because yeah. your dad farmed, correct? Didn't he farm also? He worked on a farm. He, he worked did on not a farm. farm. No. Okay. I'm the first farmer in my You're the family. first farmer. And you have two locations where you're growing your vegetables, correct? The one that you just yeah, mentioned. We, yeah. We, we right there uh, in a in a close close by close proximity to there and we also grow in uh, Duncan, Arizona, Verdon, New Mexico too. So trying to manage those two locations now, how are you doing both? I'm not doing both very well. (laughs) It's a a long ways over there, but it's a lot of trips back and forth. And is there times when, um, I know that you're growing quite a few watermelon, so the summer season maybe you're doing more of your planting in the Duncan area? Yeah, we are. You know, we'll actually, you know, the the whole idea was to be able to have a lot of stuff year round uh, because we have the CSAs and our CSAs only slow down for two weeks out of the year. And that's when we take a vacation between uh, Christmas Eve and, you know, New Year's Day. <clears throat> so, um so one of the things we had to do, and you know how it is here in the summer, there's always some things that will grow through the summer. It's just like okra and, you know, basil, eggplant, uh, black-eyed peas, a few things like that. But it's not a very good selection when you get into the hot parts of the month. A lot of the farmers here, you know, the local ones will actually just stop. But uh, we're usually about the end of July. Uh, it gets kind of kind of rough here, so that's about the time that we actually start harvesting over in Duncan, in Arizona. Duncan and yeah, Frank, what's the difference between a turnip and a rutabaga? Um, you know, I don't know a whole lot of difference. They almost taste the same to me. 
if cooked right, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that is one of the on the list of the research I did. The entire list, and again, that article will appear on Fill Your Plate sometime this week. Fillyourplate.org. That's one of Arizona Farm Bureau's sponsored websites. But I was amazed at the broad and wide list of just root vegetables. So that was kind of cool. And, you know, when I went out to your farm, Frank, I saw a lot of onions. And so we've got to highlight, even though it's kind of more of a bulb than a root, but we are listing it in the, the root vegetables, probably to all the wonderful flavors they contribute to in a recipe. Americans consume about 20 pounds of onions per capita per per year. So my question to you, Frank, I think I remember you saying that you grew more than one variety of onions and certainly the traditional ones. But what what are you growing or what do you grow in? And we'll let Frank answer that right after this. Going back to that rutabaga question I asked, I had to look up how it, it is a turnip, but it's crossed with cabbage. And you can uh, cut it in squares like uh, potatoes and use a little brown butter and makes a nice side dish. Everything tastes great with butter. I mean, come on. So, Gary, you sound a little bit like a cook. I'm a little bit like one, yeah. (laughs) Can't you tell by my stomach? (laughs) Uh, Frank, you were, I was asking you about the types of onions that you grow because it seemed like it was quite a variety. Types of onions, we, you know, we grow uh, uh, the you know white onions, um, the yellow onions, and the and the red onions, and then you know the other onion that we grow and we sort of introduced uh, through uh, native seed search here and the University of Arizona Cooperative Extension years ago was the Eetoy onion. Have you heard of that one? I have not. Okay, it's actually kind of a native onion, and it is a sort of a native onion. It was introduced uh, by the Spaniards uh, in 1699 to the Tohono O'odham, or the present-day uh, Tohono O'odham. <clears throat> and it is one of the most incredible and unique onions in the world, I think. It's my absolute favorite. <clears throat> and I actually started out with like four bulbs. Of these that uh, an agent gave me uh, down at the University of Arizona, and they were just kind of all shriveled up. They didn't know they would grow, and they, and uh, they you know they handed them to me, and they said, "Well, you're my last hope." And I go, "Wow, I feel like Obi Wan Kenobi now." <laughs> but I, I I took them and stuck them in the ground at the extension office, and you know I didn't know anything about them except for they were sort of native. But anyway, what these onions do is they'll grow 10 or 11 months out of the year. And you can stick them in the ground, and one makes two, two makes four, and it just goes on crazy. And then at the end of the season, we've had some of these onions that will just clump up really big, uh, like a green onion, and they will make over 200 of them. So I always tell anybody that buys any from me, you can uh, put them in the ground, and let it'll them grow. grow, and it'll grow, and you'll have onions for the rest of your life. So can I get them today at the farmer's markets? Do you have any at the you farmer's markets? Yeah, I All do. All right, there you go. And you said you're at Gilbert. What are the other three you have uh, people at? We do it with, uh, the downtown open-air market, and we do the Phoenix Roadrunner Park market. That's on 32nd and Shea, and then we do the one in uh, downtown Scottsdale. 
Franks, thanks so much for being on. Uh, we so appreciate all you contribute. And I may have to solicit you for this coming Friday to do do another Talk to a Farmer Friday for Arizona Farm Bureau on our Instagram Live. So if you're okay. available, I might harass you again. All right. Thank you. <laughs> and then I just... Uh, want to say that uh, keep a watch of all the things that we're doing on Fill Your Plate, especially Arizona Farm Bureau is providing three uh, blog articles um, a week on that site. And I feel comfortable claiming that we probably have one of the largest array of vegetable recipes from our farmers and ranchers here in the state of Arizona. And looking ahead at the calendar during the break, our Farm Fresh topic for next month is a hot breakfast, and we'll have a lot of fun with that. Yes, there's so many things I'm thinking as we speak that we can bring to the mix of that. And we talk a lot about breakfast on Fill Your Plate, too. So, And you know what's funny? Growing up, or we always had breakfast growing up, but when I got out on my own and left the house, I never ate breakfast, but I always had to have dinner. And I'm almost 180 from that now. Oh. I can go without dinner, but man, I've got to have my breakfast. I'm the same way. I cannot do a life without breakfast, especially Hickman's eggs. Props to the Hickman family <laughs> that grows uh, or raises hens for our wonderful eggs. So, yeah, um, we talk about food all the time at Arizona Farm Bureau, and we're in the business of food, so... It's my favorite topic. And we're so blessed to live in a great, such a great state where we can grow so many different things. And in a country where you don't have headlines like this, where the avocado boom in Mexico has growers scared of cartels. You know, we've got the free trade. We don't have to worry about taking our avocados and an AR-15 to go sell our produce. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yes, you are so right. Uh, Arizona is a $23.3 billion industry. Uh, we need to commission the University of Arizona, our land-grant university, to probably do another economic study for us because that one, that report came out in 2017. And uh, just some of the opportunities. Uh, farming is hard. <laughs> one of the things Frank was kind of indicating earlier is, you know, when somebody says, oh, I want to get into farming, and his point was, you know, they've got to be willing to do the work. I'm convinced that's why less than... of Americans are farmers. It's a lot of hard work. But there is still potential. There's still opportunity. And our Arizona farm and ranch families are proof of the pudding on that one to this very day. Um, You know, like uh, Frank, who kind of had this wonderful exposure to farming as a kid, but can't claim generational farming. But look what he's done with it. And then on the flip side of it, we've got Stephanie Smallhouse, our Arizona Farm Bureau president. She married into a ranching family, and they've been at it for over 130 years here in the state of Arizona. So we have this broad of array of diversity in agriculture, and that you can tell. I just love to talk about Arizona agriculture. And we do it the first Saturday of every month here at Rosie on the House in our 8 o'clock outdoor living hour, our Farm Fresh Hour. Looking forward to seeing what y'all put together for... Next uh, month, when we're talking about hot breakfast, and you know, there's a lot more than just meat and eggs that that can apply to you as well. Right. So we'll look forward to that. Fillyourplate.org, and you can sign up for your Farm Bureau membership. It's sixty dollars a year and comes with quite a plethora of, of benefits. <laughs>